0: Namurta sa bhukuvatu arahatu a samma sambhutasa Namurta sa bhukuvatu arahatu a samma namasa Okay, so there's one question tonight, and this is, so we're getting off to a good start on this retreat. Um, I like it, Ajahn Abidanda likes it when there's questions, so um, please don't hesitate to just write anything that's on your mind down and drop it in the the gong up here, and then we'll try and address it during our evening talks. I would just say, though, as a a qualifier to that, that uh, if you have questions about uh, theory and it's better to go and look in a book. Um, when <clears throat> the, this is an opportunity to uh, share together and, 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 and a shared contemplation on, on the application of these teachings. How do we, how do, we do it, basically? So when you, if you do have questions you want to bring to the group in the evening, then if they could be questions that uh, you feel pertain to putting this into practice. Okay? And so this is a good question and a uh, good place to start. And a good place to keep coming back to. Uh, It says, I can ignore criticism, but praise is like gold to me. And it's impossible impossible to let go. Any comment? Well, I take it that the comment that it's impossible to let go is a slight exaggeration, and, and that's not really what's meant, because if you didn't have any faith... In the possibility of letting go, you wouldn't have asked the question. So the question seems to be about uh, what is it that we trust in and, and how do we live out of this trust? We, we do. We all come to this because we trust there is a dimension that is not going to be shaken by praise and blame. That's what the Buddha was talking about. And, and what last week I think I mentioned at one stage... Last weekend, uh, the quoting from the, the Buddhist discourse on greatest blessings in the Mahamangala Sutta, where he, the second-to-last stanza in that, he says, Even though we're blown around by the Loka Dhamma, uh, the worldly winds of praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and suffering, honour and insignificance, these eight worldly Dhammas, that all of us are blown around by, including the Buddha, even though we're blown around by the worldly winds, puttasaloka dhammehi chittang yasang na kampati. Chittang yasang na kampati. That heart is na kampati. The heart is unshaking. Asokang virajang kemang. That is griefless, dustless, secure. So that's the Buddha's statement about what's possible and, and in terms of realising blessings, the greatest blessings is, to live with the praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and suffering, honour and insignificance, to live with it, but to not be disturbed by it. So so I'm assuming the questioner trusts in this, as as I do, that there is this possibility, and it's how to realise it, and how to live out of the trust we have in it. You say that... uh, that you can ignore criticism well on one level it might be that we kind of blank out and don't really hear the criticism but it still takes effort to deal with yeah. and then the, the praise is, is gold and, and you say you can't let go of it but one way of looking at this and, and I find this very helpful is, is to ask the basic question of who is it That's struggling with praise and blame. Mm. Success and failure. Gaining, losing. Pleasure and pain. Who is it? There is a... There's a me, isn't there? There's a me. Now, is that affect permanent me? Because if somebody praises me, somebody tells me, how wonderful I am which sometimes people do they tell me how wonderful I am you know they you know elucidate on that and point out all my good points and and then I feel very good and there's a good contented happy me and somebody comes with a problem and that's fine because I'm I'm cool I'm okay I can handle it and but if somebody then sends me an email and then elucidates all my weaknesses limitations and faults but does it in a way that is very insulting and hurtful and dismissive and disrespectful, and and then, ouch, ouch and the blame the criticism. And and then if somebody else comes along with a little problem, and, well, I'm not so capable of dealing with it, I maybe react unskillfully. So which is the real me? You know, I like to ask this question. I find it's a really inspiring question. It doesn't make me doubt in an unhelpful way. It makes me doubt in what I find a helpful way. Who is the real me? Where is the... Who am I depending upon? Is there, is there somebody here that I can depend on? What do I depend on for my safety? You know, Buddha was talking about griefless, dustless, secure, unshakable. So where is it? What is it? So Well, it's me, you know. I'm 30, whatever. No, I'm not 30. I'm 50-something. 57 years old and healthy, fit, male from New Zealand, he's getting by okay, and this is me, and I can handle myself good enough in, in, in you know, most situations. and, and so, But actually, I do come across situations where I can't depend upon myself. So what happens to me there? Well, it's very interesting. And this, so this kind of inquiry I find is very helpful. And if we're feeding on praise and denying blame, who is it? And I find if you ask this question in a very careful way, consistently, feelingly, what starts to emerge is a pattern that there isn't one me here, actually. There isn't one solid, substantial me. And this is, of course, what the Buddha was encouraging us with our investigation into Anatta. He pointed out, he said, there isn't any solid, substantial self. Now, that doesn't mean to say that there's not momentary Apparent selves. Yeah. If there isn't a momentary apparent self, well then, you know, you're going to have a problem getting around in life. You're going to need some medication. Uh, so we have momentary selves, lots of selves. And this is, this is my experience of, of the inner reality. In fact, it's like there's a community. You know, we're not alone, we've got a community in there. And the, the skill is really how to manage, how to maintain a harmonious community. The outer community we live with is just the outer reflection of the inner community we live with. So when we're challenged with this, when we, when we come across a situation of either with ourselves being praised and then feeding on it and, and, uh, and then being criticised and blamed and having a little difficulty with that, because, you know, if we feed on one, we really, we're going to have to deal with the other. We can't just deal with one. You can't just say, oh, well, praise is the problem, blame not the problem. We've got to be real about both. It's like feelings. We can't just hang on to the pleasant feelings and then expect to be able to let go of the painful feelings. We've got to be able to, we've got to be willing to let go of the pleasant feelings as well. And then the fear comes out, Well, if I let go of the pleasant feelings I won't have any fun anymore. Well, that's you know, that's a very initial kind of a, a story. You don't have to believe that one. You look a little deeper and You just hear where that's coming from and you experiment and experiment with letting go of pleasant feelings and you discover they become more pleasant. Pleasure is enhanced, is potentised, is more wonderful when we're not grasping to it. And then we let go of pleasurable feelings, then we find we've got the ability to let go of painful feelings. It's just feelings that we're grasping. So likewise, with praise and blame, we really have to be mindful of both. So if we experience it, it comes to us, we watch it, we listen to it, and we're willing to learn from it. And it's not like, oh, I'm failing because I get off on praise and I I ignore blame and and so I'm a failure. No, this is what we study. This is the teacher. This is the teacher. This is the teaching. Praise and blame, gain and loss, pleasure and suffering, honor and insignificance. This is the teaching if we're ready for it. If we're not ready for it, well, we, you know, we still need to encourage ourselves and prepare ourselves with a little bit more theory, and until we do realize that practice means being really present in the moment, you know, like Ajahn Chah used to say, he said, all this sitting on your cushion and formal meditations—that's not the real practice. That's preparation. That's developing the faculties. The real practice is when, boom, the passions flare up. Whether it's loving praise or rejecting blame, or 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 really going into pleasure, or or fighting the pain, whatever it is, in the moment that the passion's felt, that's the real practice. Because if we're really there with awareness in that moment, it's not a problem, whatever's happening, praise or blame is not a problem. It only becomes a problem if what happens. If we add that something extra, if we do what we do, that creates problems, which is, of course, always the same thing. It's always some form of clinging. There's a contraction, isn't it? Instead of that open-hearted awareness that means we can accord with, go with, flow with our experience of joy, sorrow, pleasure, and pain, beauty and ugliness, instead of being able to accord with the conditions, there's an experience... Knowing that it's changing and being with it and responding intelligently, appropriately, what happens? Something happens. There is this limitation. We impose this limitation on our awareness. We start to close down. We contract, and we you know, traditionally referred to as the habit of clinging, upadana, grasping. So if we uh, if we're aware if we're mindful we're present we don't see a problem with praise and blame these are just the things that studies these are the th- these are the things we study these are the things that actually strengthen the awareness. Yeah. If we're not really practicing and or we're not really prepared then when people praise us we dismiss the praise. Yeah. Somebody's you know, praising us too much and we, you can end up rejecting it because you know, you're finding it difficult to deal with well if we're finding praise difficult to deal with we're actually going to find blame difficult to deal with on some level the thing is to find the capacity that praise and blame becomes what it really is is a message for where we are with our awareness are we finding our refuge, our strength in awareness in the way things are in the Dhamma I go for refuge to the Buddha the Buddha's way, which is the Dhamma, the way things are, and that's always the way things are. The way things are is always the way things are. Or am I going for refuge to my way, yeah. the way of conditioned habits, which is what happens? That's the contraction. That's the constriction. And then we say, I this, I that, my way. I want, I don't want you. The, the, the. the manifestation of my way. Very interesting. If we catch it at that point. Good practice. Very interesting. There's my way. That's that's my way. And then we got a choice. We're we going to go the Buddha's way. We're we going to go my way. You can't go both ways. And so we choose. And then our, our refuge in the Buddha's way deepens because, not because we experienced failure, but because we saw this habit, you know, felt this habit. And there's wonderful things about being on retreat the next week. You know, we get a little quiet and. Well, very quiet, actually. no talking. in case any of you are not aware, uh, anybody who uh, doesn't go along with this is, is asked to leave. This is part of the deal for this week that we commit to silence together and we offer this silent space to each other as a way of bringing about intensity and and with this intensification and hopefully the relaxation and easing into this this uh, aliveness. Then we're able to read this. We start to see this happening more and more and more. So where the, the my way starts to show itself. What it feels like? It hurts. Doesn't feel good. Yeah. Doesn't feel good. It's not beautiful. But if we don't catch it at the moment that it's happening, we just get pulled along by the momentum of it, and we start to think this is normal. And so then you get this crazy world that we live in. people running around doing the most insane things. Somebody was talking to me earlier today about a work situation where things are changing and the company is changing and the leadership is changing and there's there's this little agitation in the community. And and Instead of there being a a sense of, okay, we just have to be aware and and careful and, and keep our eyes open, what's happening, and this person was relating to, a good number of the people at work are actually getting into this me and my territory you know my job my 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 career my c v my position my way now it 's understandable as a reaction, and anyone you know, can be sympathetic to people feeling threatened, but does it work you know, instead of having a sense of of alertness and aliveness ready? to accord with the change of the situation, when we contract and constrict into my way, we have less clarity. It can feel tempting, but it only feels tempting because it's a habit, it's familiar. The evidence is there, it doesn't work. And so, from a practice perspective, when we find ourselves getting pulled into this state of delusion, because that's what it is, delusion, we're thinking that if we constrict and contract our awareness and grasp, how it used to be or how I want it to be. We have this deluded idea that grasping is somehow going to make me feel safe and secure. That's actually something that came from childhood, you know, where you grab a hold of mummy, you know, and it does make you feel secure. Well, it's appropriate for children to grab a hold of mummy and to develop a relative sense of security so that they can grow. But then as we grow, well, then we're supposed to keep growing. We're not supposed to reach a point of stop growing and become habituated with our clinging habits, thinking that we're limited, this is me, this is my way, this is my personality, this is my rights. If we fall for that, well then we end up with the feeling, the experience of unsatisfactoriness that we know for ourselves and we, of course, see all around us. So delusion is a very powerful force. When it's in the mind, when it's functioning, which it is for us most of the time, uh, it distorts our perceptions, and so when we have an opportunity to see the force of delusion, like you know, with hindsight, when you, we get caught up in my way, my preferences, my opinions, and then we see how far it led us off, we, we notice the, the dukkha, the suffering that comes from it. Saying, oh, right, there's the cause, there's the effect, and you know, we don't miss it. It's very important. At the time, it's very difficult because we, we don't know we're deluded, that's the nature of delusion. Now, delusion appears really attractive. Delusion can make you do really, really, well, we all know, can do really crazy things. I mean, you look at the world out there, I mean, you know, how could anybody go along with some of the things that are happening? How how, how could a human being, like the Burmese situation, which I've talked about here, yeah, how could anybody support that kind of a strategy, Yeah. How could you do it? Well, it's it's delusion. That's it's like being drunk or being insane. Yeah. People uh, align themselves with these crazy dictators. People used to like Hitler. Yeah. And we, we all know what a seriously deranged human being Hitler was. But people used to like him. Yeah. I, read a, a <laughs> I read a very interesting read a very interesting story and in, uh, clipping from a newspaper, the Bournemouth Evening Echo, recently where it was from 1945, uh, this uh, lady was reporting what a lovely German prisoner of war she used to have come and do her garden for her. And uh, she was commenting on on what a nice chap he was and how friendly he was and just so helpful and nothing was a problem. But then she noticed that the February after he'd gone, suddenly right across her lawn all the crocuses started to come out and they spelt out Hail Hitler right across her lovely lawn. (laughs) What a devious Nazi he was. I mean, well, we can have a little laugh about it, but I mean, you know, people side with maniacs. Why? It's the forces of delusion. This This is an extreme version of my way. Now, a less extreme version of my way is what we experience in daily life. You know, when... Like here we are starting a retreat, and maybe you're sitting there, and somebody's breathing too hard next to you on your cushion, yeah, or or yawning loudly. And you know, I, I, I commented on this recently. I'm puzzled how people can yawn loudly during a meditation. It even happens that people pass wind loudly on on retreats. Now, isn't that extraordinary? Now how, you, know, you think, how could somebody do that? I say, well, it happens. People are caught in delusion. <laughs> It's it's the momentum of my way. It's <laughs> it's very deluding. It's, uh, so when we have the evidence of it, the wise thing to do is to stop yeah, well this is there's the cause and here's the effect. And we all have this. So it's not like it's not like I do I have it or do I not have it. We all have it. That's why we still suffer. If we were really following the Buddha's way, we'd be at one with the way things are the whole time and we'd be like the Buddha. No problem. Absolutely no problem, no possibility of a problem, ever, again. But that's not true for us. You know, we are momentarily dipping into creating and suffering the consequences of our problems. So we all have, my way, the, the skill is rather to use the experiences we have and the teachings we have to remind us, at the time it happens, to investigate it, to look at it, and to see there's the cause, there's the effect. You know? The other day, we had a little experience where um, a very uh, helpful supporter was staying in the monastery and was uh, cleaning my conservatory because I've got quite a lot of plants in there and the, it's a bit difficult to clean. It hasn't been cleaned for quite a while and, and they very generously offered to clean the conservatory and uh, move the things around. And so on. But uh, they were in there very briefly. They came rushing out looking for Ajahnabhi Nando. I said, oh, Ajahnabhi Nando. There's a smell of burning plastic in Menendo's kuti. And being a very diligent monk that he is, of course, quickly came over to see and said, Oh, no, that's not burning plastic. That's Ajmanindo's favorite incense. And uh, she basically didn't have the same preferences I had. And uh, preferences are like that. When You know, I think it's a beautiful incense. She thinks it's burning plastic. Or another example... Uh, I was busy teaching a group of people here and this very devoted, generous supporter was out here in the garden and she basically cleaned up, raked out and disposed of all the moss growing in the garden. I've been cultivating that moss for a long time. She thought moss was offensive and so afterwards she said, Oh, Arjun, you'll be very pleased. I've cleaned all the moss out of your garden. (laughs) (laughs) So, you get an encounter with my way. It's my way, actually, to have moss in the garden. Well, of course, it's not the way that, as a Theravadan Buddhist monk, I'm committed to. That's a kind of little sidetrack that I wander along from time to time. I enjoy, you know, arranging the moss and the plants in the garden. Uh, But what's the difference between that kind of an enjoyment and where we're actually caught up in my way. You know, we're not talking about getting rid of it. We're not talking about dismissing it or denying it because it's there and it's got passion, it's got energy in it. We wouldn't want to dismiss it. That's where our energy is. But it's how to bring my way in line with the Buddha's way, with the way things are, you know, how to do that. Well, one of, the, one of the ways I'm trying to point out is that when we experience the consequences of having lost the Buddha's way or the way things are or deviated from the way things are and gotten, gotten caught up in my way, the way of preferences, picking and choosing, when we experience the consequences of that, to really take it on board, to really, all oh, right, this is how it feels. This is going for refuge to my way. This is you know, investing in my way. No judgment. We can do that, you know we can get judgmental, but again that's that's not very helpful and not recommended yeah. and so when we find ourselves in situations that that it happens, you we know, need to check the mind state and if there is a judgment, if we're getting heavy on ourselves and see whether that helps or not, it doesn't help, and little by little if we're consistent in this investigation of who is it who is feeding on praise and blame, gain and loss, and the worldly wins, who is it who's doing it? Instead of going out there, going out, and trying to change the conditions, if we do, we we start to notice that there is a way that we can just loosen, loosen the grasp that we have on it. Mm -hmm. We try too hard to get rid of it. Well, that's just more my way. I want to go for the reference to the Buddha's way. I'm a Buddhist. I don't have preferences. Sounds like a preference to me. I want to get rid of all my preferences. Well, that's a preference. But rather, to be here now, when it manifests here now. It's not fair. I'm working hard and nobody else is working. Yeah. My way would be as if everybody was working. Or actually, you know, my way was if they're working and I'm not doing anything, if I'm honest, that would really be my way. You know, I might like to think my way is if we're all working equally. So, well, sometimes it doesn't happen like that. You know, Sometimes you get given the, the unpleasant job or sometimes you're living with a bunch of slackers yeah. you know, and everybody else is taking advantage of you. So what are we going to do? How are we going to find the strength? Say, so, well, I've got to stand up for myself. And we'll try that and see if it works. And you just end up having a fight and feeling bad afterwards. That's my way. You can try that. That's what happens. If we, if, we, if we believe in that and we invest in that, well, then we end up having fights. What we can also do is here and now, whole body, mind, judgment, free awareness, feel it. What does it feel like? It's not fair. Why me? What does it feel like? Does it feel good? Does it feel good? I, as I, I had a, a job when I first came to this country and I was living in the monastery in West Sussex in Chithurst. And uh, the monks here have all heard me tell this story so many times they're tired of hearing me tell it, but I'm going to tell it anyway. It's a very good story. I was given the job of removing all the roof tiles. Uh, a very good... V- a friend of the monastery, um, some Thai people are living in London. They've been doing very well on the commodities market, dealing in sugar, if I remember rightly, and they were really, really doing well. And so he comes to see Ajahn Sumato and says, I'd like to offer a new roof to Chethurst House, because this was a big problem. We had been given this great big mock Tudor Victorian mansion full of dry rot and, and everything else. And, the, well, you know, you can't really address anything until you've addressed the roof. You don't start on the ground floor and then work up to the roof. You've got to start with the roof. But that's a big project. So this generous couple offer a new roof to Chirthurst House. And straight after that, the, the market crashed and they lost everything. Well, not everything. They just had enough, actually, to buy the tiles for Chirthurst House. And so, because they promised it uh, rather beautifully uh, generously, uh, purchased the tiles and brought them down and had them delivered. And can you imagine how many tiles it takes to cover Churchhurst House? Well, they were put in the wrong place. The truck drove off. And then the abbot turns to me and said, do you think you could move them (laughs) from here to there? And uh, I wasn't very pleased about this job. I thought, well, there's other people stronger than me. And so I could have wallowed in it and suffered. But it doesn't help to do that. So if you're doing a job and you're feeling, why me, to investigate the feeling. Actually, on that occasion, I did. I moved them all. And a few weeks later, he actually decided he wanted them moved again. Now, that's unreasonable, isn't it? It's bad management. I could criticize that, monk. In fact, I did. <laughs> Seriously. For quite a few hours. <laughs> But then, what happens? You know, if you're really there for it, if you're really there for it, if we're practicing this, going for refuge to the Buddha's way. What does it feel? Does it work? Here I am, living in a monastery. I've come here to purify the heart and mind, free from defilements, and I've encountered the defilements, and all I'm doing is blaming the abbot. That's not clever, is it? The abbot hasn't done anything immoral. Maybe bad management, yeah, but it's not immoral. the best thing to do is to practice with it, to take it on. With it. I don't have to do I do not have to complain. It's a choice. as I Like I said in the, in the meditation, we have this choice. And it's such a wonderful feeling when we get in touch with this. We have this authority. We already have it. Okay, we may not feel a strong connection with it, but we do have it. Nobody has the authority over us to tell us that we have to cling. Clinging is something we do with our consciousness. Clinging is something that we do with our awareness in the moment. When the way things are in my way conflict and I'm asked to do a job I don't want to do, then this, it's not fair. Or if I get, you know, maybe get a medical diagnosis, it happens. It's, and again, once you reach our stage of life, more of us are getting these you know, medical diagnoses and it's not agreeable. And you can, if we're still caught up in my way, why me? There are lots of occasions we can all think of examples in our own life where things happen that really feel unfair. And we can do this. this. We have this choice to go into why me? But even if that's what we do do, if we're committed to awareness, then eventually, sooner or later, we catch it and say, that's suffering my refuge, my commitment, my trust is to the realization of that which is unshakable, griefless, dustless, secure. Asokang That's the ultimate blessing. That's what the Buddha was talking about. That's possible for human beings. Not just for devas, not just for angels, not for special people, but for human beings who, uh, who realize the truth, realize the Dhamma. And the only way to realize the Dhamma is to be established in awareness here and now. Dhamma doesn't exist in the past or in the future. Dhamma always exists here and now. So if we want to do something about it, like getting caught up in the worldly dhammas of praise and blame and so on, we want to do something about it, well, then in formal practice and in daily life practice, we become more intimately aware of as and when and how this my way manifests. Me and my way. It's not wrong. Me and my way, no judgment. In fact, if anything, it's it's an inspiration for compassion. When we see, when we feel, when we feel what it's like to get caught up in indignation, and we see how often we've made that choice, we've made that choice to invest in feeling sorry for ourselves. When you see that, when you really see that with some space around it, with some feeling awareness, without any judgment, what comes up, what wells up in the heart is tremendous compassion for this being, this aspect of the inner community that's been making that choice, and as a result has been suffering for a very long time. And then correspondingly and beautifully and wonderfully and rewardingly there comes the understanding, the appreciation of what's going on around us when you see people. Who, who, are, who are exercising that choice and are investing in me in my way? Instead of this being this huge frustration and irritation, disappointment, there's a, an empathetic sadness or a compassion, a feeling with, and say, "Oh, that's what's going on," and they don't realize, simply don't realize, that's the force of delusion. When the force of delusion takes over, then we misperceive. We misread, we misappreciate what's taking place. In them. The impulse to grasp appears, really appears, as the way. It really does. Just, it's so convincing. I just feel so utterly convinced that when fear arises, it's so tempting to feel. I'm afraid, but that's extra. Yeah. The I'm afraid is extra. The fear is just so. Yeah. And fear can be an aspect of intelligence. Again, to quote Ajahn Jay, you if you're going to cross a, you're going to run across a motorway, says you should be afraid. Yeah. It's dangerous, and the fear makes the blood vessels constrict, yeah. and then you've got some energy and. You cross the motorway quickly. Fear can be functional. It doesn't have to be neurotic. Mm. But it can be. So when fear arises, we don't know what it means. But the impulse to collapse around it is so convincing. I don't know about you, but I still find when fear arises, it really feels like me. When fear arises, I'm afraid. And then the next thing is, I'm failing, I'm blah, 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 blah. But if we prepare ourselves with this right quality of awareness, then when we do catch ourselves, we don't invest in it. That's my way, I'm afraid. We can come back and say, well, who's afraid? Who's afraid? Well, there is a self there. That's afraid, a conditioned self, but it's only one of the many selves that's arising and ceasing moment by moment in our consciousness. And it's a self that's truly worthy of compassion. It's not a self to try and squash or to deny or or to crush or get rid of. It's a it's a living being. So compassion for all living beings means that all of these selves that arise and cease, actually, all of them are our teachers. So whatever self is manifesting, whether it's the one that's feeding on praise or denying criticism and blame or feeding on pleasure or, or running away from or trying to get rid of pain, whatever self is manifesting, we welcome all of these selves. We learn from all of these selves. We receive all of these selves. And then they all teach us. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Om mayam gamavala <laughs> katasarukaram dalamase <laughs>